This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day. We pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What a wonderful day this is as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That first Easter morning marked an event in history that was full of wonder. And on this April Fool's Day, plenty of surprise. (laughs) This morning, I'm going to talk about three ways that it was wonderful, and with each wonder, a surprise. If we think about what the word wonder can mean, let's begin with this. Wonder means to think, to speculate, to be curious about something, as in I wonder what happened. Well, that's not a bad place for us to start on Easter morning. After all, what did happen? I think the first thing we must acknowledge is that what happened was not what was expected. What the women encountered on that Easter Easter morning was a huge surprise. Mark, the writer of the gospel we heard this morning, gives us the barest of details. Three women, there's Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. They go to the garden tomb very early in the morning, and they go there to get a job done. They're doing what women often do in times of crisis or grief. They work. They attend to the practical things that have to be done. And to that end, they had bought spices to anoint Jesus' body. Now, I suppose it wasn't strictly necessary. After all, Joseph of Arimathea had already taken care of that when he had laid the body in the tomb. Furthermore, it wasn't going to achieve anything, at least not in any utilitarian way. Maybe that was the excuse the men had for not being anywhere to be seen. Who knows? But given that most of them had fled the scene on Good Friday and Peter had out and out denied ever even knowing Jesus, the men were clearly in no position to criticize or make excuses for themselves. But what do you suppose the women were wondering that morning? What were they thinking? What were they expecting? Well, You know, it turns out, at one level at least, it was all rather mundane. On the way to the tomb, the thing that was uppermost in their minds was how on earth were they going to shift that big stone? Again, the absent men might have questioned why they were embarking on such a pointless expedition in the first place. They clearly hadn't thought it through or planned properly. Any fool would tell you that three women wouldn't stand a chance in heaven of moving a burial stone. Still... Mark tells us, rather matter-of-factly, 
When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. Okay, great. They needn't have wondered about that after all. And so in they go. They walk straight into the tomb. This is all very surprising. This is the account of the resurrection. Where's the fanfare? Where are the trumpets? You know, when Jesus was born, massed choirs of angels filled the skies, and there was bright light. Surprisingly, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we're not told how it happened or exactly when it happened, and there was no one there actually to see it happen. By the time the women arrived, Jesus had already been raised from the dead. Indeed, the tomb was empty. That's the whole point. And so for many reading this account today, the first sense of that word wonder, the curious speculation, I wonder what happened, can very easily and understandably shift to the second meaning of the word wonder, which is to doubt, as in, I wonder if it's true. I wonder if it's real. I should imagine those first women had their own doubts. Yes, they could see with their own eyes that the tomb was empty. Yes, a young man whom Mark wants us to know is an angel even told them why it was empty. And yet, they must surely have had all sorts of wonderings, all sorts of questions, all sorts of doubts. How can this possibly be true? It doesn't make sense. The empty tomb begs the question, why? Why is it empty? And so the angel spells it out. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Now, I could spend the rest of uh, our time looking at all the evidence that supports the case for the resurrection, especially concerning the varying eyewitness accounts of those who visited the tomb. But I'm not going to do that this morning. Save to say that if we were meticulously to piece together the accounts contained in all four Gospels, the evidence is compelling. There's also additional evidence over the course of the days and weeks that followed, during which literally hundreds of people saw Jesus. But I said there was a surprise alongside each wonder. Well, the surprising thing in this wondering as to if it's true, is who the witnesses actually were. We are considering the greatest story ever told. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central linchpin of Christianity, an event that, if true, changes the course of history, and if false, is the biggest lie and hoax ever proclaimed, and which, if false, frankly, makes fools out of all of us. Given these high stakes, wouldn't you have thought that God would have done a better job of leaving no possible holes in the account, no unanswered questions surrounding the resurrection? For starters, you might wonder why the first witnesses to the empty tomb and later to the resurrected Jesus were women. That's crazy. In those times, women were not even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. 
It doesn't make sense. Unless, of course, it's not written to provide watertight evidence for a first-century prejudiced court, or for that matter, a 21st-century cynical court of public opinion. Rather, it's simply true. The women were the first people on the scene. That's how it happened. That's how it's reported. So we've wondered what happened, and we've seen some surprises. We've wondered if it's true and seen some more surprises. Now, to the third meaning of wonder. To be filled with admiration, amazement, or awe. To marvel at something, as in, I am filled with wonder at what happened. Mark tells us, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Well, I, sh I should think they were. Their wonder at this point wasn't the stuff of armchair wondering. No, this was the immediate, real, in-your-face, gut-level panic-type wonder. They were alarmed. And here's the surprising thing. Initially, at least, their wonder was not some praise-filled amazement. It was sheer terror. We know that's the case, for at the end of this account, Mark reports that they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were completely taken aback, utterly astonished. They were beside themselves and their heads were swimming. But what about you? How do you react? How do you wonder in this third sense of that word? My hope this morning is that you may get caught up in this most profound sense of wonder, that you may know in your heart and soul just how wonderful this day is. And that, I realize, is a tall order. It's a tall order because most of you have heard all this before. It's a tall order because we live in a world that is rather bereft of that kind of wonderment. Indeed, there, there is in many quarters an intolerance of wonder or mystery. And so in place of, of real mystery, we're kind of wowed by mere material things, such as the latest technology. When we do better, if we pause long enough to be in awe, say, of new life, whether in a flower that opens in the spring or in the birth of a baby or the restoration of a broken relationship. There's so much for us to be in genuine awe and wonder of today. Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And in this, he was referring to his own death and resurrection and the hope of the resurrection for all who would believe in him. And herein lies the wonder, the mystery, even the surprise. You know, each Good Friday, I'm very moved as hundreds of people gather here. There were more than 300 on this last Friday. And scores of you 
line up to approach the big wooden cross that's placed where you see today the Paschal candle. And you come to the cross and some will touch it, some will kiss it, some stand before it or kneel or lay before it silently or are in tears. And this year, once again, we, we had a bowl in front of the cross where people could place pieces of paper where they had written maybe a confession that they wanted to put at the foot of the cross, maybe a heavy burden that they took to the cross. And that bowl was overflowing. Oh, how wonderful to know that Jesus paid the price for my sin and for your sin. Oh, how wonderful to know that I can take my deepest burdens to the foot of the cross, to the suffering servant. And oh, how wonderful on Friday to, at the end, to put those pieces of paper in the fire pit outside and, and see them be burnt. For Jesus has paid the price. He is the one who carries our burdens. Today, the wonder is indeed made full. That first Easter was a moment in time for all time, a bursting forth to life and a, a breaking forever of the power and the despair of death. Does that mean we all live happily ever after? Of course not. We know too well that's not the case. And yet... As we continue to live with much that is still broken in our lives, Easter proclaims to us that our healing and restoration will come. For though we live in what we might call a Good Friday world, we are an Easter people, and we have an Easter faith that shouts in the face of death and despair, Alleluia! Christ is risen! The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia! And so today, will you pause here long enough to capture again, or maybe for the first time, just how wonderful this is? Wonder is a funny thing. It's hard to describe. It's hard to package. It can't be worked up. And when it comes to the wonder of the resurrection, it's not something that immediately makes sense. Scholar and pastor Eugene Peterson writes that two of our primary ways of dealing with reality are by understanding and by using. Understanding takes a new item of experience or information and makes sense of it by fitting it to all the other things we already know. Using tests out the new experience or information in the actual routines of what can be or has to be done. But this resurrection is inaccessible to either of these. Understanding and using are displaced by sheer wonder, astonishment, amazement. And so today, I invite you to take our three definitions of wonder. First, curiosity. Be curious about what was going on that first Easter. Be curious about what being an Easter people can mean today. Wonder where 
God is at work in your home, in your workplace, wherever you live your life. For often he, he is at work in ways that may take us by surprise, even in the mundane, even in the ordinary. Next, take the second sense of wonder, the, the doubting kind of wonder. I wonder if. And if you know Jesus, remember this. God calls you who have believed in him to be his witness. It was surprising that God would have had women be the first on the scene. And you know, in many ways, it's surprising still that he would have the likes of us be his witnesses today. And yet he does. And if you're not a follower of Christ, at least not yet, then by all means wonder if it's true. But don't rest until you can answer that question. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus really was physically resurrected from the dead and he is alive today. Finally, ask God to fill you with that third sense of wonder, the wonder that surpasses our questions and our doubts, that goes beyond reason and proofs. And as you do so, I pray that you will be blessed with the joy and wonder of what God has done, is doing, and will do in your life and in the world. For alleluia, Christ is risen. Before I close, there is one last surprise, one last detail that causes me to wonder. Maybe you noticed it. Mark tells us that after the women, the angel tells the women that Jesus had been raised, he says to them, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. There in the tomb, the angel is imparting the most momentous and significant news of all people for all time, and Peter gets a special mention. Peter, who just days before, after promising that no matter what anybody else did, he would never betray Jesus, goes on to deny him three times with curses, denying he never even knew him. And this morning, there's a message for every Peter that is here. Everyone who has betrayed Jesus. Everyone who has let him down. And so the angel today would say to us, go tell the disciples and Bill and Susan and John and Kelly and David. Tell them to go. Each one of you. Go, for Jesus has gone ahead of you. And so Jesus says to us, go back to your families today. Go into work tomorrow. Go back to school. Go into your ordinary everyday lives. For I have gone ahead of you. You will find me in those places. Go, therefore, and make disciples. For Jesus has promised to be with us always to the end of the age. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.